1: We may also be sweary from time to time. We're optimistic, light-hearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that.
0: In this week's show, we are tackling our monthly Q&A. So we have lots of questions that we got sent in August, but we didn't quite get to them. And we've also had a few coming through already for September, a lot of which came through after last week's show. Some of them are head scratches, And I think
1: the first one, I I was like, is that a problem? I didn't even know this one was a problem. (laughs) So this question came in from an Instagram follower and said, how can women lower their testosterone naturally? And Maria, I have no idea is the answer (laughs) to that one. You're going to have to take this one.
0: I love this question because... It's so relevant to things like PCOS and a lot of people won't even know to think about their testosterone levels. Testosterone can affect your fertility. If your testosterone levels in women are too high, it can have lots of different effects. It can lead to things like excess body hair, especially facial hair. Um, weirdly, it can also do the opposite and lead to balding. It can lead to things like acne. It can affect your voice. But when it gets quite serious and, and quite severe, it can actually lead to irregular menstrual cycles, low libido and changes in mood as well. So the question itself is great because ultimately, if your testosterone is too high, it can have a massive effect on your fertility. Um, So I suspect this is why the lady on Instagram has messaged and asked about this particular topic. So it's a really, really good question. I did look into
1: testosterone, but it was very much from uh, having too little rather than too much. Mm -hmm. Because when you're on, I suppose, the other side of fertility, when you're starting to work your way through perimenopause and menopause, it's a real problem. You get very Mm. weird symptoms with it, such as fibromyalgia. So that is like kind of a bruising feeling on the skin. And there's so much unknown about the level of testosterone for women because it's so associated with a male. Mm. It's like a male's hormone, isn't it? It's like they own it, but they really don't. Women need testosterone too, but how can you lower your testosterone naturally?
0: There are a few different things you can do. So if you have these symptoms, and let's say you go to the doctor and you get particular tests done, the honest answer to this question is Most doctors are probably going to go straight for the medication route just because they're doctors. And whilst many doctors are more holistic in their approach, they're probably going to be looking at things like metformin, which as an aside, I have used when I was managing my PCOS. Top tip for anyone taking metformin, make sure you take it with food because otherwise you feel horrendously sick and nauseous. It does an absolute number on your stomach they might go for metformin. What they might do is the old trick of prescribing the oral contraceptives to kind of mask the symptoms. When it comes to lowering your testosterone naturally, one of the key things you do is look at your lifestyle factors. And I appreciate some people will be thinking, well, of course you're going to say that because you're a PT. But actually I spent a lot of time researching this question because it's so interesting. And one of the big things you can do is make sure that your weight or your body fat is within a healthy range Because unfortunately, testosterone can have an effect on that. Once you do that, that should then have the knock-on effect and help the symptoms of your excess testosterone. Lifestyle factors are really important. Regular movement, eating healthy nutrition. I'm not saying it's going to cure it straight away, but based on the research that I looked at, they have been shown to have an effect to at least help you manage the symptoms of testosterone that's too high.
1: Isn't it funny that infertility things work sometimes in polar opposites. Women, we need to lower our testosterone and we need to be, I suppose, physically fit within a good, healthy weight band for that. But men on the other side, they need to spend their time trying to increase their testosterone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. It got me thinking actually about the uh, podcast episode we did when we had Kieran on, because obviously Kieran, Kieran kind of does what I do, but with men. So he's a male fertility PT and he was talking about this and he was talking about how he helps men to raise their testosterone levels. And some of the key things he supports them with are things like cutting down alcohol. Now, I know not all men drink, but I was talking about it on the focus this week. Alcohol, when you're trying to conceive, the less the better. The research out there is mixed in terms of the actual amount of alcohol you can have, but the less the better. Same with men. Alcohol has been shown to decrease testosterone in men. It's better for them to to lower that. And I know Kieran does a lot of lifting work with men, so lifting the heavy things in the gym. But what Kieran talks about is quite often it's to do with volume and not necessarily lifting the heaviest possible weight. So for anyone interested in this, for their male partner or for any males listening, definitely go back and listen to the episode with Kieran. Yeah, definitely. Kieran knows his stuff when it comes to
1: testosterone. And actually, while we're on the subject of alcohol, why for women is alcohol consumption even a thing? Like I get it for guys. I get it. It has a direct effect on testosterone. But for
0: women, how does it affect Exception. The bottom line answer is people aren't 100% sure, but they think the alcohol can basically disrupt your hormone levels. Your fertility is just this massive kind of hormone machine and we just need all the hormones to do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. <laughs> and if that happens, fertility should be fine. So one of the ideas is alcohol basically messes with that. Um, It could be that it interferes with your FSH, which, which is your follicle stimulating hormone, your LH, which is your luteinizing hormone. It might also decrease your progesterone levels. And all of these are involved in your menstrual cycle. And when I was looking at this, I actually came across a really interesting study and it was looking at how drinking affects you as a woman, but at different phases of your menstrual cycle. And as you know, Roshan, we do enjoy talking about our menstrual cycle and basically matching life to your cycle. And what they looked at was when when participants drank in moderation, and they classed that at around three to six alcoholic drinks per week during the luteal phase, which is the second half of your menstrual cycle after ovulation. This research found that that resulted in a 44% Reduction in the chance of conceiving compared to non drinkers, which is massive. Now, the psychologist in me is thinking, okay, if this is correlational, correlation doesn't mean cause, but very interesting. So, for anyone trying to conceive, like I said in the focus this week, I would just suggest trying to avoid alcohol.
1: Yeah. I also think that alcohol is a gateway drug to eating chocolate. (laughs) Do
0: you know what used to be my one? It wasn't chocolate,
1: it was chips. Choose your poison. When you're actually physically drinking, that's when the salty snacks come in. That's where mm-hmm. the chips come in. That's where all that. But it's the next day I need the sugar. Mm-hmm. That's when I, I'm roaming around like some kind of zombie going, there be something sweet in this house. <laughs> and that's when I go and start negotiating with my kids, especially my oldest one who always has a pretty teed up box of chocolate. And then <laughs> then, then I'm having negotiations with my dealer, basically. <laughs>
0: Give me the chocolate. You can stay up later. It'll be fine. But yeah, less alcohol is better. And for anyone preparing for IVF, the idea is that particularly as you get closer to things like egg retrieval, embryo transfer basically when that alcohol is going to be in your system close to one of your procedures and the suggestion is it's better to be safe than sorry try not to drink anything particularly around those times if you can and obviously it goes without saying when you are pregnant please don't drink and that follows on really nicely to our next question from
1: jan jan is 38 she's pcos and is preparing for ivf that's going to be happening in february 2024 she wants to know, is there anything that she can start doing now specifically to improve her IVF
0: treatment and outcomes? I love this question. When it comes to IVF specifically, the big one that I work on with clients is sleep. And I know that we talked about this last week and we went into quite a lot of detail, but sleep is so, so important for when you're preparing for IVF. Sleep has been shown to support positive egg quality. So to support really good egg quality, because obviously one of the big things, the big parts of IVF is that egg retrieval. If you are going right from the beginning, you're going to be stimulating those ovaries and trying to get as many of those beautiful eggs as you can. I would really focus between now and February, and I cannot believe, by the way, we're talking about February 2024, but here we are. I would really focus on sleep hygiene. One of the key things I'm working on with clients at the minute is this idea of the digital detox. It's this idea of not having your phone in your room or at least having it on flight mode. I know some people get anxious if the phone isn't in the room, but even if you have it on flight mode, at least that should stop the kind of interruptions coming in. The other thing is if you've got a smartwatch, just be careful if you've got your smartwatch buzzing all through the night because that will distract you. But the key thing with sleep is it's not just cat napping all night. So, sleep is really interesting because you release different hormones at different stages of sleep. And all the good stuff, if you like, comes in those really deep sleep stages. These are the stages of sleep where it's really difficult to wake you. And, quick anecdotal story when I was at university myself, I managed to sleep all the way through a fire alarm in my halls of residence. No one even bothered to come and get me. But I was in such a deep sleep, it just didn't wake me up. But in that deep sleep, that's where you get all the really good hormones, like the growth hormone. You have to have good sleep hygiene, and you have to make sure that you get this uninterrupted sleep to get to that point. And that then supports new cells growing and healthy eggs. Am I right in thinking that The
1: better your sleep gets, the better your sleep gets. It's one of those. It's like a learned behavior. It's like a bit like a rabbit hole. Equally, if you've got poor sleep, then that promotes further
0: poor sleep patterns. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the poor sleep example is quite an easy one to work on because we all know how it goes. You have a bad night's sleep for whatever reason. Like I said, noisy neighbors, alcohol actually can massively affect your sleep. Obviously, caffeine can affect your sleep. Stress can affect your sleep. And what then happens is you wake up the next day. If you have the luxury of having a nap the next day, because you're tired, you have a nap the next day, but that nap then means you're not tired at bedtime. So then you're up all night at bedtime and then you're tired the next day. Absolutely does have this knock on effect. So really work on your sleep hygiene. Top tips, set an alarm for bed. Don't do not do the thing we've talked about before where you set the alarm for 10, set the alarm for nine. <laughs> set the alarm for nine. So you've got an hour, you can have your shower, you can have your hot bath, which we know Roisin you love. And hopefully by 10, you are actually then in bed, in your gym jams, nice and relaxed, ready to actually go to sleep rather than then spend the next hour on your phone. And it does make a massive difference. And it is something I'm working on with clients. It's very difficult to fix sleep straight away overnight. It can take a little bit of time. It's like when you're getting rid of jet lag. You know, the idea with jet lag is it takes one day for every hour of jet lag. So if you apply that to good sleep habits, if you're trying to go to bed, let's say three hours earlier than you normally do, that is going to take time. It's going to be kind of gradual, gradual. So you are going to have to give yourself time to try and improve your sleep, but it is 100% worth it in the end. Like I cannot stress that enough. A good night's sleep on a regular basis makes the world a difference for your fertility and for your general health.
1: And actually, I always think that it's quite a luxuriant thing to do the way it's take yourself to bed early. Mm -hmm. obviously then as everyone knows I get straight on the rails but what I'm trying to do is take it that no this is really good for me this is part of a good health plan there's no point in just you know really sticking to the diet and really doing all the exercise and really doing all the mindfulness and really and then being up all night (laughs) on on your phone (laughs) best luck Jan with with the IVF treatment let us know how you get on we have Andrea. She was listening to your interview with Dr. Amy, which is fabulous, Maria, by the way. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about the dreaded NK cells. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness me. The research that is not done on these things. But anyway, oh,
0: yeah.
1: our question is... Can you tell us a little bit more about NK cells and why they're important for fertility?
0: I love this question. And I also love that she was listening to our interview with Dr. Amy. Again, if you have not listened to that, please go back. It's Dr. Amy is amazing. So part of that interview, Dr. Amy is talking about these things called NK cells. NK stands for natural killer. They sound really vicious, actually, when you call them natural killer cells, but They are in everybody's immune system. They are a normal part of your immune system. You want NK cells because they are part of your body's defense. They very naturally help your body fight things like infection. When it comes to fertility, what they're beginning to realize is that NK cells, which are also found in the uterus, they actually play a massive role in helping someone become pregnant. If there is a problem with your NK cells, If they are overactive or underactive, that can actually then have a knock-on effect on your fertility. And one of my clients who, I love her actually, she's amazing. So we've been working together for a while. We were chatting about NK cells and NK cell testing because she just has a little bit of an inkling after listening to our show that there might be something going on with her. So you can get tested to see what your levels of NK cells are like, However, if you are a UK listener, just to be clear, the NHS will not necessarily test you for your NK cell levels, which is a real shame. Lots of clinics will test you, but you might have to be proactive. And we've talked about this again a lot on the show. This might be something you have to bring to the clinic. If you're thinking, when would I bring this to the clinic? My answer is You would bring this to the clinic in particular if unfortunately you have experienced recurrent miscarriages, because what might be happening with the NK cells, it could be a situation where you are able to get pregnant, the sperm and the egg meet each other, but it might be more of an issue of then carrying that pregnancy. And I'm saying that very gently because I know a lot of our listeners have also experienced recurrent miscarriage, but it's just something that if you are in that situation, bring it to your clinic just have the conversation with them, natural killer cells and just see what they say. But it is a relatively new area. Your clinic should tell you that, but there are things they can do. You can get tested. And I have heard of people who have found out that their NK cell activity was incorrect. It was imbalanced. They have been given medication to help fix that. And they have then gone on to have a healthy pregnancy. The reason we're talking about all of this and the reason I love this question is because this is something that can be worked on. And I have heard lots of positive stories when people have worked on any NK cell issues that they have.
1: I suppose as sad as it is, because you're getting pregnant obviously you're losing those pregnancies, it's one of those things that you have to really write down. I know it sounds crazy, but for a GP visit to go in fully prepared you have to say, I'm not conceiving, but this is what my pattern looks like. Sometimes your body, there is a pattern that you just can't quite work it out. And I know we did a really good show like nearly a year ago, but we've actually recently rerun it over the summer with Rachel Sheriff. and she goes into NK cells in a great deal of detail. And I referenced there a girl I knew that could get pregnant really, really easily, but within a couple of weeks was losing these pregnancies. And It was only when she found the pattern you know she could actually see it she went i'm having this weird discharge i'm having this this Mm -hmm. weird feeling in my body that they went we think this might be natural killer cells and that's when Mm -hmm. they went and addressed it and that's when they could sort it so even if you think it's nothing or it's not important just make a note have a journal have notes on your phone just even if you think it's completely irrelevant Write it down, you just never know.
0: This is why we are always saying about tracking your cycles, even if your cycles seem completely off the wall. And they might be, they might be completely off the wall. But if you can, please try and track them. And to be honest with you, my heart goes out to anyone that's had one miscarriage, two miscarriages, three miscarriages, whatever the reason is, it is it's a horrific situation to be in. But what you said, Ration, I think is really important. When you go to the GP, when you go to the doctor, when you go to the clinic, it's this idea of self-advocating and you have to go in if you've got any data, if you've got any evidence, and then you can just say to them, look, this keeps happening. What could it be? Can we test it? And you just have to really kind of put yourself out there a little bit and have a go. And and who knows, they might find something. it will just
1: put you maybe in a little bit more of a, a sure footing when you're going in, if you said, well, I've got dates and times, this Absolutely. is what I've got. We've also had a question in from Amanda who was listening to our starting a new September show where we outlined all the fabulous ways (laughs) to get back on the horse. And her question is, what if you're sick and tired of getting back on the horse? What do you do if you're just done?
0: Oh, Again, my heart goes out to anyone in that situation. I would like to say I have been there and... I can only kind of speak to what I've experienced and for me, it was take a break. I also understand that what people may be screaming at me is I'm already 38, I'm already 39, I don't have time to take a break. And I totally hear that because unfortunately we have this really annoying biological clock kind of ticking away. So I guess personally, I would have two-pronged attack if you can afford a break, even if it's for one cycle, let's measure this in cycles. Even if you can have a break for one cycle, if you can afford a little getaway for a weekend, if you can even just say to yourself, do you know what? We're just not going to try and conceive this month. And I know that that can be easier said than done. But ultimately, if you need a break, if you can take one, please take a break. Because if you then come back in a couple of cycles or a couple of months time, you're refreshed and you're rejuvenated, then... The next course of treatment or the next month of trying to conceive will probably just be that much more productive because you're in the headspace to do it. But if you are stuck for time and if the clock is ticking a little bit, my advice on this one would be, can you just take it to basics and try not to overcomplicate things? Maybe just pick one thing, maybe one of the things we talked about in last week's show, because I guess it's to do with your mental energy. And, you know, we've talked before about having buckets that are overflowing. If your bucket is already overflowing, And again, we've all been there for whatever reason, that bucket is full. Don't try and do everything because that's just too much. Maybe pick the thing that you will find easiest and just try and do that. And then you don't have to do it seven days a week. Maybe just try that particular thing. Maybe it's eating the rainbow. Aim for twice a week to begin with. So that I guess would be my own advice. If you can have a break, have a break. If not, rein it in as much as you can do as little as you can to still feel like you're doing something, but without too much stress until you can build those energy levels back up. It's really hard though.
1: Yeah. Fertility can be like running out of brick wall every month. Mm. You get damaged. It's It's kind of like the f- worst kind of fucking performance review, isn't it? Every <laughs> yeah, single yeah. <laughs> month. And I'm in awe of any woman that can go through this month after month, after month, mm. after month. What I'd say is that, First of all, Amanda, I absolutely hear you. Look, sometimes you just don't want to start again. You just want to sit in the couch and just shut out the world and throw on the telly and just don't want to think about it. I completely get it. When I'm overwhelmed, and I kind of get from your question that you're overwhelmed, the overwhelming thing about fertility is it's so big. It includes so many different things. And it's kind of like eating an elephant. <laughs> This is what we say in our heads, hedge eat an elephant. It's one bite at a time, okay? You just take small, actionable steps. Anything that you can do, do it. And don't ask yourself too much beyond that. So it's a measurable, actionable step that you can take and say, like, I can do this, or I can do that. And then do that for a while and then load them on top of each other. So So try something else and add that into the mix. And it could be as simple as I'm just not going to have even though I really want to my 11 o'clock I'm just going to swerve the croissant you know that's the only measurable actionable step that I'm going to take or I'm not going to take the lift I'm going to walk the stairs that's another small actionable step that you can take I'm going to not do those dishes or whatever I'm going to leave them I'm going to take the opportunity to have a bath and go to bed early because that's an actionable step and just try and eke these things into your life. They may not seem like much in the greater scheme, but they're like little bites of that elephant. Yeah. And as you bite away, you can get through. you start feeling better. You'll start feeling more in control. And before you know it, you are back on the horse, but you're there kind of more willingly and successfully.
0: Completely agree. I was just thinking as well, Roisin, while you were talking about this, it reminded me of another one of our conversations with Alea, who was um, one of my clients and she had her gorgeous baby um, at the beginning of this year. And stick with me on this one because it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. But actually one of the things Alea was able to do was to basically, as she calls it, get her team of people So she had a nutritionist, she had worked with Julia Young, she worked with me, she had her clinic and her IVF doctors. And I know this sounds contradictory to what I've just said, but I think what Alea did was she kind of offloaded the mental effort of having to figure out what the hell do I eat? When do I exercise? She basically said... I can have a team to support me just to tell me what to do and I will just do what they tell me. And it's that mental effort of having to figure everything out for yourself is one of the reasons people get overloaded and one of the reasons their bucket is full. If it's possible to bring people in to help you just to kind of get rid of that sum of mental effort, that might also be something that's a really um, useful thing to do as well just to lower those stress levels. And sometimes it's not the physical or it's not the mental, for example,
1: It's not like trying to consume lots of information. It's actually just the emotional. So that's where I can't recommend talking therapy enough because what is also a really exhausting part of this process is the continuous feedback. And that is the continuous, you're not getting pregnant. Your sister's has gotten pregnant. Susan in work has just gotten pregnant. I can't get pregnant. We're trying again. It's not working. Now we're trying to have sex all the time. We're just trying everything at it. And and I'm not good enough. Why is this not happening for me? Why does my body not work? Why is this, you know, everyone else's body works, everyone else is having it. And you can get into a real downward spiral with that. And that will keep you out of or in your bed quicker than any other part of this process.
0: Again, completely agree. And the big one at the minute, so we're recording this um, at the beginning of September. And in the UK, well, in England, anyway, uh, children are going back to school. And again, that can be really triggering for people. Because if you go on the social medias, you've got the photos of cute little Johnny in his little summer shorts, and he's going to school. and And that can be really mentally taxing for people as well. So social media is another one. But the bottom line is, there is no magical answer to this. There are things you can do, but I hear you. It can be really hard. Mm-hmm. Take care of yourself, Amanda. We're rooting for you. 100%. And we have
1: our final question, Natalie, a very timely, is what is our opinion about the controversy surrounding DIY home testing kits with regard to oestrogen. This is a story that's broken in the UK. It was covered by the BBC, I believe, this week. And we think it's too big a question for this show. So we're going to do a whole
0: program about it next week. It's such a good question. We'll come back to it probably next week. But it's around this idea, DIY testing at home very much all the rage at the minute very popular within the kind of femtech community and we'll talk about this next week so tests giving unreliable data about your estrogen levels very controversial and very very significant
1: so we will be deep diving is that issue this
0: time next week thank you so much for listening to this week's show remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week And please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help.
1: This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult with your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.